not built properly, then it's going to be very difficult for you to deal with all of the ups and downs and ins and outs of getting money. You know, in the time that I'm speaking about, they, it was a criteria that you had to meet. It didn't matter if you were family or not family. You had to meet a criteria. You had to, you had to be a certain, you know, type of breed. It wasn't just about you happening to be born around here. You, you just happened to grow up around here. So by virtue of that, that accident, you just get to elect to be in the street. It wasn't like that. You could be from around here all you want. But you've been being watched since you was five, six, seven years old. It was already understood back then whether or not you'd be cut properly for this. And if it was determined that you weren't, you'd never get in. I don't care who you are. That's right. I don't care who you are. I don't care. Yo, my brother's so and so. Yeah, your brother's you, but you're not your brother. You know what I mean? Like your, your brother's, he's a good kid like you, but he's built like, he's built like, you know, he's built for this. You're not built for this. You're not built for this. And it was like that. It was like that. It was a time when you had to be verified. Yeah. It was a time when you had to be verified by somebody who was qualified in order to be certified. You couldn't just volunteer. It just wasn't like that. And the profits were far greater, you know, because there were far fewer people willing to do it, able to do it, you know. There were people who were willing, not most people weren't because the ugliness of it, the harshness of it was known. It wasn't math. People knew. So when people considered getting into the life, they understood that there was a good chance they would be killed. You know, like a good, good chance. Because it wasn't like it's a, it's a thousand people from the neighborhood that's getting down. It's two or three. So if you try to move in with the crowd like those late 80s, 90s on type cats did, they just try to, you know, mix in with the crowd of people rushing into the game and hope that they didn't be the one to get whacked on top of the head like a mole. You know, back then you couldn't do that because there wasn't no whole stampede of people trying to get in the game because they knew it was something not to be played with, not to be trifled with. And all that you grew up around here shit, no. That was not even a factor. Get your ass out of here. <coughs> you've been going to school. You've been going to church. Right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. keep going to school and going to church. Keep doing it, what it is that your people raise you to do. Don't start doing nothing different that you ain't prepared for, you haven't been prepped for. Because there are aspects of this life that you cannot see from your window or from your stoop. And it's beyond these clothes and these cars. You know, so... <coughs> it's... um. It's, it's trickled into the, into the popular culture, trickled into hip-hop, trickled into popular culture. You know, all of the aesthetics, all of the looks and the behaviors, but none of the knowledge. So you got people acting out and behaving in a way, but not understanding the context of those behaviors or those acts. You have anarchy. You have what you have now. And, you, and it's only going to get worse because 
Now you have a whole generation of people who don't have a clue about anything and they are influencing the next generation. Nothing good can come of it. Nothing good can come of that. The blind leading the blind. Nothing good can come of that. The blind leading the deaf and the dumb. You know? It's, it's, it's not a good thing, man. It's not a good thing. It, what, it, what is a good thing is the, the, the prevalence of, a, of information. That's what's a good thing. Can you, can you close that one? You know? The prevalence of information, man. It's like never before has there been so much information available. Never before did there exist an app, you know, an, an anchor, you know, that would give me the ability to record my, my thoughts and communications and, and put them out there in the world where however many people that are participating in the usage of this app um, are going to be able to hear. You know, we, we've never had the kinds of resources commonly available that we have now. We should be far, far better off. But as I mentioned earlier, if, if a person is ignorant and poor and they become suddenly rich and they're still ignorant, they're just going to do the same things they were doing when they were poor, you know, because they're still ignorant. They, they, they're just going to do more of it. It's just going to be excess and, and shinier. You know what I mean? But that's it. It's going to be the same shit. So money is not the salvation. The continuous pursuit of elevation of self is, that's what it's really about. Because anything, any good fortune independent of that, is going to be more of a burden, more of a destructive, uh, an element or an instrument for self-destruction than, than, than anything else. I've seen cats who came from the poorest circumstances back in the 70s, you know, and come the early 80s, they get access because it suddenly became like that, you know. Mid-80s, it became accessible, you know, for people to just get cocaine. Like from anywhere. It wasn't like that before. Drugs were pretty much um, controlled by a few people. So if you had a package, you got it from one of three or four people. Cocaine changed that. That was in the days of heroin. Cocaine changed that. Cocaine was made it a free-for-all. Anybody can get it because everybody had it. Pablo. That's right. Flooding these fucking streets. Calling himself trying to, he was waging a narco war on the United States, trying to destroy the, uh, destroy the youth of America. That was his intent. But the youth couldn't get to it because the adults are too busy sniffing up all the codes. <laughs> but, you know, we, you know, those, those of us, those few of us who were, you know, because, I mean, I was a kid who was running around back then in the days of disco and cocaine and yeah man it was it was different we first of all we got fly we we didn't walk around with our pants hanging off our ass you wasn't gonna see nobody in no in no club with no sweats on you know unless it was like 
a fee lawsuit, which back then, um, only cats who was really like cats who were actually ballers, yeah. only ballers wore. I'm talking about the '70s, early '80s. Only cats who was balling even knew what fila was. Every other cat, all he knew was Converse and Pro Keds. They didn't know nothing else. Converse and Pro Keds. Either you was paying uh, $16 for your sneakers or you were paying $12 for your sneakers. Yeah. Yep. So when you had on a pair of, you know, $40, $50 Fila sneakers, they just looked at, they just. They used to look at my feet and be like, you got, a, you got all white boy sneakers. Yep, that's right. They see I don't white boy sneakers. And then I knew what they stood for, you dig, to me, because I was around the individuals who were wearing this stuff. I was around big time major narcotics dealers. So I knew who I, I knew where I adapted my uh, sensibilities and my sense of style and fashion from and my taste. I knew where it came from because I was around style-wise players. So I knew that, you know, this is what casual, rich street niggas wear. They wear fila, fila sweatsuits, fila cap, fila um, wristbands and sweatbands and, you know, fila sneakers. So I, yeah. So I was wearing Fila sneakers, and nobody else was wearing Fila sneakers in Harlem, in in nineteen seventy six and seventy seven. nobody was wearing that. They was wearing Converse and Procas. That's that's it. You know. So I, I I say that you know not to say that I, I I was you know doing something that most people weren't. That that's not the point. The point is that it wasn't a free-for-all and that if you weren't in the presence of these particular individuals in close proximity of these individuals, then you really had no idea, regardless of where you lived or what neighborhood you... Hey, bro, you okay, bro? Hey, yo, bro. Hey, Joe, you okay, bro? I'm high as hell. Man, you need to slow down, bro, bro. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> you rushing. I'm rushing. I'm yeah, sorry, you, I'm you definitely, you gotta... No, I'm watching him. I was watching him. Yeah, I was watching him. He's he was gone. He was gone. He was in two places at once. <laughs> I know. I was watching you. I can see it. I can see it. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Know your limits. You gotta know your limits, man. You gotta stay functional. <laughs> I watched him cut the light off, and he stood there, and he hesitated like he didn't know what he was going to do next. That's because his mind, his, his mind is on three different tasks at the same damn time. Yeah. So he's half doing everything. <laughs> okay, I got to remember to do this. All right, get the bag. Put the bag back. All right, then, all right go. I'm going out the room. Let me, cut, let me cut this light off. Let me cut this light off and ignore the fact that there's two grown men standing here talking to each other. Let me cut this light off. All right, I got the light cut off and close the door. And everything. All right, I, I've, I've, taken care, yeah, I've taken care of all business now. <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, man, you know, what I was saying is that when, when cats were doing things back then, um, they were only doing them because, one, they had access to the resources. 
which was a rare few. Everybody in the, neighbor, in the hood was not selling drugs. That wasn't the fact. There may have been a lot of people on drugs, but there were very few people comparatively to the amount of the people in the community, very few people that were selling them. You know? You got a, a, a collective of, uh, you know, some, some guys selling or whatever, but you got legions of people buying, using. Legions. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, different levels of use, users. Some of them are functioning, some of them are not functioning. And that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Everybody's seeing those few people make some money. And, you know, we didn't think about that. The people whom I came from, the generation, the two generations before me, they didn't think about it. So I didn't think about it. So I thought that we'd be able to just continue to live our lives, you know, in front of these people who didn't have anything and ride around in Cadillacs and Porsches and Mercedes and some in the 70s. You know, and, you know, some of the poorest neighborhoods in, in, in the country, you know, in the, certainly in the Northeast, you know. And, um, I mean, at the time when I was growing up, Harlem had the highest concentration of heroin users in the country. In the, you know, there was like a half a million users, 68, you know, when I was one. And 80% of them lived in the tri-state area. Half a million people total in the country using this drug, using heroin. 80% of them are living around me. And Harlem is central. So at some point, every one of them came through, especially my neighborhood. I come from 115th Street. So 15th Street, 16th Street, 14th Street, 7th and 8th Avenue, Manhattan Avenue, Lenox Avenue. This was prime real estate in the heroin, heroin gang back then. Frank Lucas was on 116th Street and 8th Avenue when I was a kid. I remember Blue Magic, they used to have to redirect the buses off of the avenue down to Manhattan Avenue just so they can get across 16th Street because 16th Street and 8th Avenue was so congested with coppers and boppers that they couldn't, they couldn't get the damn bus through. Broad daylight. That's what I grew up in. I played in that. I, I, we played tag, running around, people bent over. You know, sucking their own dick, as we used to say. Because yeah. the motherfucker is such a nod. He's curled over, standing up, asleep, essentially. Not really asleep, but in a comatose state, standing the fuck up, bent over, bent all the way over to the point where, look, he's going to hit the ground. Head tucked between his legs, damn near. Never hit the ground. This when they about to fall over, they bounce back up. Start rocking. That's, that's what we grew up in, you know, and I had friends who, who were playing right alongside me, and they saw the things I saw, they saw the users, they saw the coppers, they saw the boppers, the boppers was the, the you know, the cats who was making the moves, yeah. and um, coppers, of course, are the people who were buying, and they saw the same things I saw, the only thing is they only saw it outside. When they got in the house, they saw what their family was about. You know, so mommy's working, daddy's working, you know, low-level jobs, but they're working. You know, they, they got white Jesus on the wall. They, 
They got, uh, you know, Sunday church, you know. When, when, the, when the street lights came on, especially in the wintertime, you know, or during school time, when it wasn't summer, when the street lights came on, most of the kids my age, I'm talking about five, six, seven, eight, most of the kids my age had to go inside. I didn't. So what their parents were trying to shield them from by making them come inside once the streetlights came on, I was immersed in. I was, I was in that soup. I was a, you know, a noodle in that soup. And, that, and I was absorbing that, absorbing the flavors and the um, seasonings of that soup. They were, be, they were being uh, incorporated into me. Not, not to mention the genetic predisposition. My mother and my father were stone cold gangsters. So my genetic predisposition to the behavior was being reinforced by a constant exposure to the behavior. And not just the behavior, but the context, because I was in that close of proximity. I wasn't just... Um, you know, around where I could hear them saying something. I was right next to them where I could hear them saying everything and, and doing everything and understand. I was close enough to them to understand why they were doing what they were doing, yeah. which is the difference between me and my peers. They could only see what they were doing. So you could see them pull up in the car so they know what the car looked like. And they could see them get out the car so they know what they look like, how they're dressing. And they can watch them walk around the car and see how they swag, you know, how they move themselves, right? Because all those things, your, your movement, what you're driving, how you're dressing, uh, how you walk, all those things tell people who you are in this environment, how you are supposed to be regarded, what level of this game you are on. That's what these things communicate to people. But if you don't know that and you're just sitting in your window in our neighborhood looking, you can't hear what's being said. When I get in that Cadillac and pull off with this person and you see their fedora cocked ace deuce and the big ass pinky ring on that Cadillac steering wheel and you see them lean over. What you're seeing is not the game. What you're seeing is the game's reflection. What's happening when they lean over and start to speak into my ear, that's the game. And you cannot observe that from a, across the street, upstairs, in your bedroom window. Now, you can emulate the hat, the car, the clothes, the walk, but you, you will not know why you're doing what you're doing. So when you come up against somebody who was sitting in the passenger seat, getting the game direct from the player, and you're just going through the motions, putting on the uniform, you know, driving the car, and you're going up against somebody who actually has the game and understands what all those things mean, you are not going to come out on top. You're going to be bested. Because this person has an actual understanding of why what is done when it is done. You know? These are the things that cause so many cats to lose their freedom 
lose their lives, lose their minds. You know? And now it's all lost to these cats today. They have no idea why they're doing anything now. It's just a fashion show. It's just going back to what we were saying earlier. It's just the, the reaction to their low self-esteem and their low self-image. They have such little value for themselves and they, and they desire so, so badly to be adulated and affirmed that they just throw their lives away, you know? So you get two good summers and you the man, you the man, you slinging and swinging and then you go to jail for 30 fucking years. Yeah, man, it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, and you may, you may, you most certainly will never get it all, but the continual pursuit of it, it being greater degrees of knowledge, understanding, the more you know, the more you grow, as cliche as that sounds, it's the, it's the fact, and, um, I mean, because all we are, the culmination of the, the information and experiences that we've had and the information that comes from those experiences or through those experiences, where, where those elements right up into, the, into this very moment, I am all the things I've seen, experienced, endured, you know, I'm all those things right up into this moment. And... The more I encounter, the more I grow, learn, evolve, um, the more I, I change. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer, um, I'm not even the same person that walked into this room because we had this interaction. Because we sat and we built and we created this mastermind and accessed the, the, you know, the, the ether. And, and, and I've, I've heard myself say, and you probably heard yourself say things that, you may not have said before during the course of the conversation because you never had the thought before, because you never had access to this particular um, uh, mind uh, uh, meld or this mastermind. You know, this is the first time that you and Joe and myself have come together. So, you know, we are inclined once we are on a common uh, frequency and we create that mastermind, we are inclined to have have thoughts that we never had before to, to think new things to discover or understand you know things in a way we never did before you know spirit um why why is, why you say spirit um i believe in god i don't know if that's your religion god you believing in god is not a religion is it Follower of Christ. How do you how do you follow how do you follow Christ? Christ existed. Christ, I almost misspoke. Um, the things that were written about the existence of someone who was supposed to be called Christ, the the existence of this person was written. 300 years after he was supposed to exist, existed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously that was a very long time ago. It was a couple thousand years ago. But there's no 
proof that he ever existed. It's just something, you know, that for whatever reason, although there was, there, there is recorded history from the period that he is supposed to have existed in, he is not in that recorded history during that time. He is only referred to back to that time 300 years later, where somebody says, 300 years ago, this guy existed. But when you go back to that history, he's not in it. He's nowhere in that history. But 300 years later, somebody remembers that, oh, yeah, he, he was there, and this is what he did. All right. In any case, how do you follow someone who may or may not have existed over 2,000 years ago? <laughs> that was a nice build-up. This is what he believed in, man. But, but again, again, how do you... As described, I guess, would be the right word. Uh-huh. So whoever, so whoever wrote, you're a follower of whoever wrote these things that are attributed to this being that may or may not have existed over 2,000 years ago. And why, why are you that? When did you decide that you would be the follower of the person who wrote about a person who may or may not have existed 2,000 years ago? When did you decide that that's what you would do? At what point did you make that decision, you, for yourself? At what point did you do that? When did it start? started eight months ago and how did this start so prior to eight months ago you didn't believe in uh the jesus christ thing so prior to eight months ago you believed it all right so where did that belief come from of course family history family yeah i would say Right. <laughs> right, right. For me, for me, it was gangsterism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was that was my religion. Right. It was a, it was a religion based in in you know more, uh, for, for lack of another term, more practical, you know, um, tenets. You know what I'm saying? Like we we knew what we we're here for, and we know what we may or may not have to do to get it. You know what I mean? And you had you had a very defined code and ethic, and you know morals to follow and, and if you didn't live by those you died by them yeah. um but and that was obviously that's much more tangible and relatable and quantifiable right than just assimilating because what what it essentially seems to me is when a person such as yourself is given an indoctrination and that indoctrination comes from this, his primary caregivers, his mother, father, grandmother, uncles, you know, people close to him. And, you know, they share that common thread. You know, uncle might be a, a drunk and might beat his wife on Saturdays, but he goes to church on Sunday. Um, uh, auntie might be a, a cokehead and, you know, half a whore, but... You know, come Sunday, she's in that church right alongside uncle. Um, you know, uh, other uncle may be uh, a uh, 
creeping into your bedroom at night to, you know, to tickle your private parts, you know, but Sunday he's in the church alongside your whoring, uh, cokehead aunt and your drunken wife beating, you know, grandfather or whatever. Right. And so that is the common thread. That's the common, the common thread is we share this. This is what keeps us when all else fails, when all our other, uh, idiosyncrasies and preoccupations and sicknesses, you know, are tearing, you know, threatening to tear us apart as individuals and certainly tear us apart as, as a collective, we have this to fall to. So a lot of that is connected to that. Obviously, because if they were truly living to the tenets of that ideology, then they wouldn't be participating in any of those behaviors. Right. So it's not about the belief at all. It's about the emotional connection that they have to one another. And this is that tacit thread that keeps them connected. And when they pass it on, it's also the same thing. If you can be the whore and you can be the wife beater and you can be the child molester. But if you don't come to church and I'm giving up on you. So then it's uh, extortion. It's um, guilt. Um, and it's also the common connecting thread, you know, that helps them to, you know, maintain this, this familial love that they got going on. So, you know, everybody can be as much of a, a deviant amount and a malcontent as they want to be as long as they go to church. So if you're a little kid growing up in that environment, you're seeing a lot of conflicting things, right? And you're also seeing that um, everything is all right on Sunday around the table at the church. You know, so you don't question, if the adults aren't questioning it, why would you as a child question it? You know, you don't question the incognizance or the cognitive dissonance of this, this the belief in two different ideas at the same time. Distorted. That's right. So, you know, this religion, this Christ thing and all that, it's like, if, if you never went and sat and studied and did your own work to make a determination about the validity of what it is that you are attaching yourself to and giving your belief to, then your belief can't really serve you. It can't really serve you, not in a real way, not in the way that belief is capable of serving you. Belief is capable of bringing a person, uh, you know, to the most incredible place in terms of you know, creativity and achievement and so forth. You know, belief is at the basis of, of all success, you know. So belief is a very powerful thing. Yeah. So to give away your belief, just casually give it away, unconsciously or irresponsibly um, give it away um, just because, you know, this is just what we do in my family and, and, and not really take into consideration the, um, the severity, the weight of what it is that you're relinquishing, which is your right to express your, 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 your free will, your God power, your free will, your, your ability to uh, assess and make a determination and, and, and then make a choice. 
if you never exercise that and just go ahead and accept whatever was told to you by the people who care about you just because they care about you, um, then you're probably not making the best choices for yourself that you should be. And um, you probably know it. You probably know it, but you probably think it's in, different, it's in a different area. <laughs> you know, so it's not my belief in, in Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's got to be a good thing. I'm, I mean, my, my believing that alone makes me a good person. Just the fact that I believe that makes me a better person because I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, let me go and molest a child. Let me go and beat a woman. Let me go and sell my body. But I believe in Jesus Christ. So that alone negates any, you know, um, irresponsible, you know, character flaws that I'm unwilling, uh, unable to address. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, you cannot, one, in my opinion, should not blindly accept things that have such deep impact potential on their existences without taking a really hard, critical look at, you know, what it is that they're attaching themselves to. It, it, to me, it's, it's some counterproductive practice. Not only that, you're just really going to yourself in a deeper hole. Potentially, yeah. Unless, unless you happen to be fortunate enough to have just, just so happens you decided you were going to follow the doctrine that your family gave you, and it just so happens that it, it, it suits you. I'm sure for some people it's like, you know what, this, it just works for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, but there are a lot of people that it doesn't work for, and they still do it because of all the other things attached to it. You know, the, the familial acceptance, you know, um, the inclusion. Nobody wants to be cut out the tribe. So, you know, I'll come here on Sundays and, you know, be around you every other day of the week because, you know, at least we got that. But, you know, I'm a whore and I know you're a child molester and we know that he's a fucking woman beater and an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. You lose your mind, first and foremost. Yeah. You know, having two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time and accepting them both as so is definitely a step towards losing your mind. Yeah, no doubt, bro, bro. I'm glad. I'm glad. I I, I look forward to the reconnect. You know what I mean? Uh, what's what's your name again, brother? A Sean. A Sean? No, 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 Sean. Sean. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> what's A Sean? It's a responsive uh trigger, man. It's a responsive thing. That's that shit you be smoking. <laughs> It was a pleasure, brother. It was a pleasure. Thank you for, for being a participant on Conversations with Cavario, brother. It was a pleasure. Hey, Sean. Hey, Sean. <laughs> Easy, brother. One.